We're going through a series right now called People of Christmas, and we talked first about Mary, who is highly favored of God, and how we also are each God's favorites. We're favor rights. Israelites, Hittites, Jebusites, favor rights. We have the favor of God. The second thing we talked about was everybody's favorite topic, daddy issues. Talked about Joseph and, and daddy issues. Today we're going to be talking about a group called the Shepherds. And we're going to kind of try to figure out why in the world God would bring the most amazing message ever told to shepherds. So, um, but before we do that, I'd really like to ask you guys if you would uh, be praying. There are so many people right now that are sick. A lot of people are hospitalized and a lot of people are really struggling with the ick. Um, so... Would you guys indulge me and just pray? Father, we thank you that you are the healer. Lord, we believe that you still heal today. We don't believe um, that you heal every single time, Lord. We know that you are glorified no matter what, but we do come before you right now, and we ask you for all those who are struggling with the stomach flu and with head colds and flus and and even the more serious things, Lord, the cancers and the um, terminal things and all of the illnesses, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus for your glory to be known. Lord, we ask that you would heal people, you would deliver people, Lord, that um, your name would be lifted up because we will give you all the glory and all the honor because you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're talking about shock and awe. One of the favorite activities that most people like to do over the Christmas holiday season, actually pretty much starting at Thanksgiving, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, is everybody likes to watch Christmas movies, right? Nope. Hallmark. Hallmark. Okay. How many like to watch Christmas movies? So I did, um, I did some research and I looked up what the top 10 all-time favorite Christmas movies were. And so we're going to have a little contest today, and we are going to figure out the top 10 favorite Christmas movies. I just need to say this list is compiled by some, um, some random guy <laughs> named Eric Scissorhands. So, but I did find it on the IMDb website, so I figured that was pretty legit. But then I looked, and it's pretty consistent with almost all of the, the top 10 lists. Um, so it's going to get crazy now because it's going to get controversial at some points. And so prepare yourself. I am going to describe the movie... And then I want you to shout out what the name of that movie is, okay? You guys up on your movies? I will not be referencing a single Hallmark movie. Sorry. Okay, number 10. Drum? No. Okay, here we go. Okay, this one is about a guy. It was, it was written in 2003. His name's Buddy. Elf, yes! Woohoo! That's my favorite. I love Elf. You know the part where he sees Santa? He's like, I know him. <laughs> I love that. And then the part where he's like, you're not the real Santa. You smell like beef and cheese. I love that movie. And when he goes in the elevator, <laughs> and the Empire State Building, and he, he touches all of the buttons so that they have to stop on literally every floor. I love that. I'm not going to talk about every movie. Okay, number nine. This was in 1988. This is a kind of a takeoff on... A Christmas Carol, the movie A Christmas Carol. 
It's about a guy named Ebenezer. It's Scrooged. Okay. Okay, number eight. This one, we're going way back in time. 1947. This is about a miracle on 34th Street. There you go. For the older people. Um, number seven. This is about, this is in 1990. A lot of people say this is their favorite. I don't understand it. Yep, it's about a kid. That movie stresses me out. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, number six. Another stressful movie. 1989. This is about a family who decides that they're going to go on a road trip. Yes, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Okay, now this one's 1983. By the way, I did the average of, of the year of all of these movies, 1974, which means there are people in here, you have movies that need to be birthed that are about Christmas because all these movies are so old, so hurry up and write some good Christmas movies. Um, okay, so number five, this one, 1983. It's about a little kid who wears... Christmas story. You guys are good. You guys are really good. 1964. This is about a reindeer. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yes. 1951. This is the original story about the Christmas past, Christmas present. A Christmas Carol. It's not the original Christmas story because that one we're actually going to talk about. Whoa. <laughs> I think the anointing just fell. Wow. Okay. Uh, Christmas Carol. Okay, now this is where we get really, this is probably why the lights came up. This is where we get really controversial. There is a war going on on Twitter about whether this movie is in fact a Christmas movie or not. It takes place during Christmas. Die Hard. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Absolutely not. I'm sorry. I have the mic. No, it is not a Christmas. It takes place at Christmas. This is not the kind of movie where you wrap up in your jammies with your cocoa and get the good feels. I mean, so maybe it ends right. Okay, the number one, this one is pretty much across the board. Number one, top Christmas movie. It's 1946. That's a hint. It's a wonderful life. Isn't that movie just so... Ah, you don't get that feeling from Die Hard. I'm sorry. Okay, the 19th movie on this particular list is um, is the C Charlie Brown's Christmas. Now, the thing that's really cool about Charlie Brown's Christmas is that made the passage that we're actually going to be discussing today famous. That's the passage that we're going to discuss today. Um, we're actually going to we're going to go on. We're going to read the next the next five verses. So he says, "Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth um, to those on whom God's favor rests, or on those with whom God is pleased." What does the Bible say? How do you please God? Let me say it this way: Without this, it's impossible to please God without faith. So that's what this is about today. This is about having faith. This is about um, the fact that here the shepherds are like considered lowlifes and the heavens open for the shepherds. 
the heavens opened for probably the least likely people. But it says here, it says, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village. They found Mary and Joseph. There was a baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherds' stories were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart, and she thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So this is, this is a crazy, crazy scenario. Now think about this. This is before electricity, back way, 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 way back. Let me tell you a little about shepherds. Shepherds were the lowest rung of society. They were like the most demeaned, the most denigrated, the most despised. They had very, very, very little value in that culture, in that society. And I'll explain why a little bit later, but for now, keep in mind, the shepherds, a lot of times, Shepherds were criminals in disguise because they could hide, because they, nobody would see them. So here the shepherds are, just another night. They're sitting out in the fields. And I want you to imagine this. It's completely dark. How many of you have ever been camping when it's black? When it's black. We're going to black out the lights. I want you to just experience this. This is what it was like that night. So just the stars are out. It's completely quiet, except for <laughs> So they're just doing their thing, hanging out, out in the middle. Yeah, somebody else. You got it. Do it again. Everybody do your best sheep impersonation. Ready? Go. <laughs> Go. Oh, somebody back there nailed it. So this is what it was like. No laughter, but okay. Totally dark. And then suddenly, it says suddenly, <laughs> this angel shows up. Now, let's talk about angels, okay? Angels are not these little, fat, little, naked, infant-type things, okay? You just want to just pinch their cheeks and tickle them? No. If you saw an angel, you would not want to tickle them. Absolutely not. If you saw an angel, you would be very scared. <laughs> you would be so scared. You would be terrified. And that's what happened to these shepherds. I mean, this is not like an everyday occurrence. And you see this theme throughout this particular story. Anytime an angel shows up, people freak out. People are terrified because angels are terrifying. Okay? And so it says that the shepherds are terrified. And the first thing the angel says to them is what? Don't be afraid. Right. Nailed it. It says in here, it says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks. At night. Okay, so this is shepherds who are actually, they live with the sheep, basically. 24 7, 
They're with the sheep. They're guarding their flocks of sheep from wolves or thieves or whatever. And so, you know, in the King James, it says, and lo, there was, you know, like Linus read. But lo, if you would write it in like a modern day translation, it would be like, whoa, or like, check this out. Like, this is insane. This is so crazy. It says, suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared around them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Now, this is the thing. This is the point. The heavens opened for the humble. The ones who who didn't think more highly of themselves than they ought. The ones who who probably had low self-esteem. Like, probably the most unlikely people for the Lord to, to bring this incredible message. This is the, um, the most amazing message. The shepherds, get this, you guys, the shepherds were the first ones to hear the message that the Messiah that they had been waiting for for centuries, that the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the one who came to save the people from their sins, the shepherds were the ones who heard this message. And it makes me wonder, why? Why shepherds? Why would God choose shepherds to bring this crazy message? You know, it's like, I'll make a confession. I love The Crown, the series, not the actual thing, but the, the series, The Crown. Have you guys heard of it? It's about the royal family. And When there is a royal baby born, it is a big deal. In England, when when they know that there's going to be a baby born, I mean, the Brits are so... You guys saw this back in May when um, it was all over the news. But it was a big deal. Like, for example, here um, in 1948, November 14th, Queen Elizabeth and her son are doing well. It's a boy. Her Royal Highness, Princess Elizabeth, was safely delivered a prince. This is like a big deal. This is a big deal because the Brits are all waiting. There's going to be royalty born. And what they do is they put a pronouncement plaque in the outside of Kensington Palace or outside of Buckingham Palace or whatever. They put a pronouncement plaque so that the, the people of England can know, your prince is born, you're, you're, you're going to have a king. Okay, but this is unprecedented. Meghan Markle, who is an American and who's mixed race, the first mixed race royalty in England, and her husband, Prince Harry, had a baby, they actually announced it on Instagram, which is unprecedented, but then they did their little birth announcement there. And now this is what I would have done. If I would have been the one to decide how Jesus was going to be born, I would have tweeted it out. I mean, it would have been, to me, it's like, God, why wouldn't you go to the influential people? Why wouldn't you go to the politicians or to the religious leaders or to the the people that can spread the word? Instead, he goes to the shepherds. And so I thought, well, maybe, maybe this is because there's a good thing. I mean, there are positive things about some shepherds. I mean, some shepherds, well, first of all, they were probably awake. So this is the middle of the night when people used to actually go to sleep when the sun went down. 
<laughs> instead of binge watching something until three in the morning and regretting it the rest of the week, they were probably awake and they were responsible for watching the sheep. Now, there is a special place in the Bible for shepherds. Shepherds are, are known as the ones who care for the sheep. They're the ones who love the sheep. They lead them. You know, there's a whole psalm written about the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23, if you've ever been to a funeral, you've heard it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. All of these things that shepherds do. So there's a very special place in the Bible for shepherds. There were some very famous shepherds. Uh, so Adam and Eve had a, had a couple of sons, Cain and Abel. Abel was a shepherd. His brother killed him, so that didn't go over very well. But he was actually a shepherd. Moses was also a shepherd, but Moses became a shepherd because he had to go into hiding. So he was hiding, keeping watch of, over the sheep. David, who eventually became the king, he's just out watching the sheep. And they say, some scholars say that the reason, David was a, a, a very skilled musician. A lot of scholars say that the reason that David was such a good musician was because he had so much time to rehearse or to practice sitting out there in the field, you know, just practicing his scales and his riffs. And David was just out there watching the sheep when he was called to be anointed as the king. And then, of course, there is the good shepherd who is Jesus. And, of course, Jesus is the one who cares for our needs, takes us to good places, provides for us, cares for us, is attentive to us, all of the things that the shepherds did. These are the positive things. So these are all really good things that shepherds did. But notoriously, shepherds were way, way more known for the negatives. So they were, they were like the, so, the social outcasts. They were the rejects. They were rejected by the, the religious people because they were considered unclean because they were living out with animals and things that animals produce. And also if animals died, they would have to take care of that. So they were considered ceremonially unclean. Well, there was a seven-day period of purification before they could come in and offer a sacrifice in the temple. They couldn't take seven days off work. These guys were, were poor. They didn't get paid a lot. But here's the amazing thing. They were raising the animals that would be taken into the temple to be sacrificed by these religious people that rejected them. Isn't that amazing? The shepherds were unclean. They were, um, <laughs> it's like, you know, when I meet people and, and when I um, share the Lord with people or talk to them and, you know, invite them to come to church, you know, you'll hear people, they'll say, well, I'd come to church, but if I did, I'd, I'd probably start on fire or something. Now, I've never seen that, so I don't know if that could actually happen. But these are, these are like the shepherds. They would probably say that. They'd probably say, yeah, if I came into church, I'd probably burst into flames because they were so completely debased. And they were also, um, they had a reputation for being dishonest, gruff, a lot of times they were thieves. Sometimes they were murderers who were hiding out. Um, when I was a kid, we used to have uh, this carnival. It was town and country days. And um, we would have this carnival that would come to town. Well, the town I grew up in is less than 2,000 people. And nobody ever locked the doors. I mean, 
If you went away for two or three weeks, you might lock the doors. But when the carnival was in town, everybody locked their doors. Because the, the, we called them the carnies, the people who worked with the carnival who didn't have the greatest reputation. And I'm, I apologize if you're a carny. It's no offense. But people didn't trust them. They were afraid that they were going to we're going to break into their house, or we're going to steal something. I have to tell you a story. Oh, my gosh, this is embarrassing. <clears throat> so last night, I went to this party, and um, I was listening to the directions, and Siri said, you've arrived. And so I'm like, cool. So I parked, got out, kind of knocked on the door a little. No answer. Opened the door walked in, there's a family sitting there having dinner, and the teenage son goes, wait, what just happened? <laughs> I was like, isn't this where the party is? They're like, mm, I think that's next door. <laughs> so I tried to give them the gift, but they didn't want it, but anyway, that was totally random, having nothing whatsoever to do with what I'm talking about, since <laughs> speaking of rejects. <laughs> uh, anyway, Speaking of locking your door, <laughs> so anyway, back in those days, so, so when the shepherds were in town, people knew you lock your door. People knew you watch your stuff. As a matter of fact, shepherds were almost always accused. If there was a theft, they would always accuse the shepherds because they were disreputable. Um, they were not even allowed. This, this part is amazing. <laughs> so, okay, God chooses shepherds to bring this message. Shepherds were not even allowed to give a testimony in a court of law. So why shepherds? Why would God choose shepherds? People didn't even trust them. They didn't believe them. They didn't like them necessarily. I mean, shepherds were necessary because they were raising these sacrificial animals and the animals that produced wool and produced the best, you know, meat or whatever. But here, here's the thing. The shepherds were probably not very arrogant. They probably didn't have really high self-esteem. They probably didn't lord their power over anyone because they, they were humble. They'd been humbled. Life circumstances had humbled them. And the heavens opened up for the humble. And when we go before our great and glorious God and humble ourselves, that is when the heavens open up for us. That is when we see the glory of God, when we humble ourselves. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 say, this is the one I esteem, says the Lord. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. These are the ones that please God. Those who are humble and contrite. It's interesting because in 1 Corinthians, I love this passage. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, let's see, verse 26. It says here, Remember, my dear brothers and sisters, that few of you are wise in the world's eyes, or influential, or of noble birth when God called you. As I read that, I was like, why? I like acronyms. Wise, influential, noble. Win. But these guys were not winners. These guys were not wise. 
These guys were not influential. They were not powerful. They were not of noble birth. They were not like, you know, the prince. These people were just like us. This is talking about us. It says, it says, when God called you, he chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame the things and to shame those who, are, those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose the things despised by this world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of the Lord. The NIV says, let whoever boasts, boast in the Lord. The heavens open for those who are humble. Those who recognize their desperation for God. And you know, I, I always say this, but it's so true. God will use whatever circumstances necessary to show you how desperate you are for him. If you don't think you're desperate for God, just wait. He will show you. And I'm not saying this like he's this vindictive God. But you will begin to see as you go through your life that you are absolutely 100% desperate for God. And the fact that God is not this mean, angry, ignoring, neglectful God. He is a good and a faithful and a kind God. That's what he wants you to know, that you are desperate for that because that's what you need. Because each and every one of us is absolutely precious to God. Every single one of us. And that's why when the angels show up, the logical uh, assumption is that if an angel showed up in your life, you would be terrified, right? They're not like these uh, underweight women with their underwear with, you know, big <laughs> wings. <laughs> yes, I went there. <laughs> That's not what angels are like. As a matter of fact, when it says the angels came out, it says that it, it was multitudes of angels that came out. They were not singing doesn't say they were singing. You can't make a biblical case for that. It says that they said, and as a matter of fact, it was probably like, a, like a, an army, you know, when, when soldiers go like into battle because the king of kings was coming to take dominion over the earth. The king of all kings, the savior, the Christ, the Messiah, the one that had been foretold for centuries was come to earth to save us from our sins. And so the multitude of angels came out and they gave like this, like a war cry. Like, yeah! like have you ever seen Braveheart? <sighs> I mean, that's probably what it was like. I don't have a green face, but that, I mean, imagine the angels like that. Like they're like, they're, they're, it's a victory cry. It's a shout of victory. The king of the heavens is here. He has come to earth. And so that's what it was really like. And so the angels were terrified. But the angel says, do not fear. Do not fear. He says, I am bringing you good news that will be of great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, in the city of David. And this was what had been prophesied for years, is that this is where the Messiah would be born. Do not fear. 
Fear is a really natural human emotion. But fear can be debilitating. And fear, fear manifests itself. I was, I, I was really thinking, I was trying to think about all the ways fear can manifest itself. And as I said, I like acronyms. So I came up with an acronym, and it's C-W-A-P. Quap. <laughs> Fear is quap. The way that fear demonstrates itself, see, through control. You fear something, you're afraid, so you try to control everything and everyone around you. Or you turn to perfectionism. Or you turn to, it's just, you don't want to lose control because you're so out of control emotionally. You're so afraid. You're afraid of rejection. You're afraid of being exposed. You're afraid if people really knew who you were, they would hate you. You're afraid of losing everything. Fear. And so we control. The second one is worry. So control, then worry. We go to that place where we're so scared. We're so afraid about something happening that we just start to worry. And let me tell you, do not worry. Jesus commands us, do not worry. Matthew 6, he says, you don't need to worry about tomorrow because today has enough worries of its own. Don't have any anxiety about anything, but give your request to the Lord. Tell him what you need. He knows even before you ask, but he's saying, do not worry. But we feel like, ah, oh, worry's kind of like the acceptable sin, right? Like gossip. I mean, eh, God doesn't care that much. Yes, he does. He cares as much about worrying as he does about murder or committing adultery. It's true. He doesn't want us to worry because you cannot worry and praise God at the same time. Worry and stress are the opposite of praise and thanksgiving and trust. And God's saying, I would never ask you to do something I wouldn't give you the ability to do. God would never ask you not to worry if it wasn't possible for you not to worry. And I, I, I have been delivered from anxiety. I was delivered from worry. I don't worry I'm not saying I never fall into the temptation, but I am telling you as a lifestyle, I don't worry. I trust in the Lord. And I'm not saying this to puff myself up. I'm saying this to offer you hope. If you're a person who's consumed by anxiety or by panic attacks or by worry or stress, and I'll just let you in on a little secret. I start out most of my days, I'm going to be really vulnerable with you. I start out most of my days by making coffee. That's not the vulnerable part. I make coffee, and then I go sit in my chair. I turn on my fireplace. And almost every day, almost every morning, I invite the presence of the Lord to come in. And almost every day, I begin my day by weeping. I do. And it's not because I'm sad. It's not because I'm grieving. It's not because of anything other than it's a way of releasing my stress and releasing the anxiety 
and pouring out my heart to God and giving it all to God and giving him my burdens, giving him my cares, giving him the things that, are, that have kept me awake at night. And then I just begin and I begin to read his word and I begin to just pray and talk to God. And, and I'm not trying to give you a little pad answer to say that, you know, if you struggle with panic attacks or if you struggle with anxiety, but I'm just saying just try the presence of God before you try anything else. Go into the presence of God and invite him to come in and give you peace because he's the prince of peace. Amen? So fear manifests in control, manifests itself in worry, and it, then it manifests itself in anger. A lot of times, the reason that people respond with anger is because they have fear. They have so much fear. A lot of wars are started because this country is afraid that that country is going to attack it, so we attack them first. It's, it's rooted in, in violence. Fear can make us do things that we wouldn't normally do. It can cause us to become angry. And then the last way that I think fear manifests itself, so control, worry, anger, and paralysis. Sometimes people become just absolutely paralyzed because they don't know what to do with all of their fear. So they become depressed, they become isolationists, they become, they become compulsive eaters or drinkers or sex addicts or binge-watching, whatever. And the Lord wants to tell you, and he wants to give you the promise of hope that you can be set free. That you do not need to fear because he is with you. You do not need to fear because he is your God. You do not need to fear because he is good, he is faithful, and he is for you. God is for you. Um, I've been watch, uh, listening, I've been thinking about this, I mean, um, the whole concept of trials and, and fear and what makes us fear, and, and I, I've come to this realization that there is no such thing as a trial-free life. You know, you, we really, it says in Job 5, it says, man was born for trouble as surely as sparks fly up from the fire. You know, I, I mean, I, I think I went through a season in my life where I thought, you know, I'm looking forward to the day when I don't have any trials. <laughs> There's no such thing. We have trials. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because God has overcome the world. We don't need to fear, because God has overcome the world. We don't need to freak out because God has overcome the world. We don't need to stress out because God has overcome the world. We don't need to be depressed because he's overcome the world. And he wants to overcome us in a good way so that we are completely surrendered to him. We give our lives completely to him. I've been listening to this, uh, this new guy that I just discovered. Unfortunately, he passed away 10 months ago, but he's this elderly preacher from, I think, Scottsdale. And um, his name's Tom Schrader. And <laughs> he was talking about about life's problems, and he was talking actually about aging, and he said, you know, he said, there was a season in my life where I really thought that, that when I got older that I wouldn't have any troubles anymore, and he goes, I'm just realizing you, your troubles just continue, and, they, and sometimes they increase, 
I know for those of you who are into the prosperity gospel, this is not what you want to hear, but this is the reality of life. We all struggle, we all suffer, we all go through hardships, we all go through trials, but we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to do it by ourselves. We have the body of Christ, we have friends and family, and we have the Holy Spirit that says he will be with us, he will comfort us, that he will guide us into all truth. So this guy, Tom Schrader, he was talking, he goes, I remember the first time I realized that I was old. He said he was in Walgreens, and he had the shopping cart, and he looked down in the shopping cart as he's standing in line, he says, and I had an enema, preparation H, and a box of Depends. And so he checked out, and the cute little uh, teenage girl that checked him out, she hands him the receipt, well, have a nice day. And he's like, young lady, in what world, after having to buy all this, would I have a nice day? <laughs> People are born for trouble as surely as sparks fly up from a fire. And this is a thing. Those trials come suddenly sometimes. One text, one conversation, one phone call, one email, and everything in your entire life can change. Everything. I have so many situations in my life. One diagnosis can change everything. When my 11-year-old son was diagnosed with diabetes, boom, everything changed at that moment. Everything changed. When my six-year-old son was almost killed by a golden retriever that we had adopted, rescued, everything changed at that moment. When I got a text from Eric, my husband, who was in the hospital, and found out that he, that he was being wheeled into surgery. Everything changed suddenly. Things can change suddenly, which is why our hope has got to be in the Lord. It cannot be in our circumstances. It cannot be in other people. We cannot control enough. We cannot worry enough. We cannot rage enough. And we cannot isolate ourselves enough to escape the trials of this life. But Jesus wants you to know he is with you. He is for you. You do not need to be afraid. Do not fear the terror of the night, he says. Isaiah 41.10, and I know this, this verse is for someone here. Don't be afraid. This is the Lord speaking. I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Can you say that? Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. His victorious, all-powerful, amazing, sovereign, awesome, powerful hand. He will uphold you. That's his word. He wants you to know you are not alone. You don't have to struggle alone. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. He is good. He is faithful. And he is for you. Yes. Amen. God and sinner reconciled. Hark the herald. Angels say. Don't ever sing that. Hark the herald angels say, 
God and sinner reconciled. That's the message of Christmas. That is the gospel, is that God has provided a way through his son that we could be forgiven, that we could have eternal life, that we could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if we were to die today, we would go to heaven. We can know God and sinner reconciled. And what did the shepherds do? After having this, this amazing, life-transforming situation, they go, they see the Messiah. There's this massive star. They see a multitude of angels. Their lives are transformed. And what did they do? Did they hit the road and start to evangelize? No. What did they do? They went back to their flocks. They went back to their mundane, everyday life. But what's the difference? In going back, it says, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. They told everyone. Christmas is a really good time to tell everyone what God has done in your life. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to know all of the theology and all the arguments and all the evidences of this and that and this and that. All you need to know is what did Jesus do in your life? Where were you when he found you? And what has he done in you? What is the hope you can offer someone else? And why would God choose shepherds to bring this message? In the same way, why would he choose me? Why would he choose you? I don't know. I don't know. It says, but everyone who heard the shepherd's story were astonished but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And the shepherds went back to their flocks. But this is the difference. They were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. We are called to go back, not to become of the world, but we are called to go back and share what God has done in our lives so that we can offer hope to people who are hopeless. I have a friend who um, was, an, was a pastor down in Santa Cruz. He was a professional skateboarder, really cool guy, way cooler than me. I mean, I, I feel like I can't even be in his presence. He's so cool. But I love this guy. He's funny, and he's, and he's just, he's so Christ-like. But God radically saved this guy. He radically transformed him from a life of drugs and partying hard and, and uh, he's now a pastor. He's planting a church in the Portland area. And um, he was telling me a story that one time, um, so he was a big partier, and one time he went back to um, this kind of like city center or whatever, and there was this guy there, I've offended them, <laughs> there was a guy there who um, was completely, completely drunk. He was absolutely wasted, and he was just out there dancing just making a fool of himself. And the Holy Spirit said to Joe, I want you to go dance with him. <laughs> How many of you right now are glad that never happened to you? <laughs> See the drunk guy go dance with him. <laughs> this is what the Lord told him. So Joe kind of argued for a minute like we sometimes do. And he went and started dancing with the drunk guy. And guess what happened? The guy sobered up immediately. 
and Joe was able to sit down with him and lead him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Transformed the guy's life. That was really weak. Can we give God a shout out? Woo! Yeah. You know, God can reach us no matter where we are. There's a guy named Harold Hughes who was the governor of Iowa back in the 50s. And he was an alcoholic and he was so depressed and he was so hopeless that he went into the bathroom to take his own life. And he went into the bathroom, into the bathtub so that it wouldn't make a mess. And he was laying in this bathtub and he cried out to God. He cried out to God for help. And he had this radical encounter with the Holy Spirit. And God revealed himself to this guy who was so broken, so hopeless, so devastated, on the verge of taking his own life. That's how depressed he was. And God did a 180 degree turnaround. See, and then this guy went back and he was still the governor of Iowa, but he went back glorifying and praising God like the shepherds. That's what we're called to do because our God is great. Our God is a saving God. Our God is a healing God. Our God is a delivering God. Our God is a God of peace. Our God is a God of acceptance and approval and love. And this is the kind of God we are supposed to tell people about. He is good. He is faithful and he is for you. So you do not need to fear as you just humble yourself and let your request be made known to him. He will open up the heavens. He will reveal himself to you. No matter where you are in your life, you do not need to fear because he loves you and he is for you. Can you stand please? We're just going to go before the Lord and just pray. Our God is, a, is an awesome God. That word gets overused, but our God is an awesome God. Can you say that? Our God is an awesome God. Awesome God. Lord, we come before you and we are so humbled that you would call us, that you would choose us, Lord, just like you chose the shepherds, the least likely. Lord, the most broken, God, you chose me. You chose us to bring this message. Lord, you chose us to glorify you and to praise you. Lord, you chose us to bring a message that would astonish people. Lord, and so we ask that you would fill us to overflowing. Fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you promised that you would use us as lights in a dark world. Lord, right now I want to pray for those who who are so bound by fear. Lord, those who are um, just feeling out of control. I ask that you'd be their prince of peace. Come in. Speak peace to their storm. Lord, to those who are worrying, whether they're worrying about finances, Lord, or whether they're worrying about a diagnosis, or whether they're worrying about... Um, their, their prodigal son or daughter who's walked away. Whether they're worried about their marriage or their relationship, Lord, I just ask that you would calm the storm. Show them that you are with them, Lord, that you are for them and that you are good. Lord, for those who are struggling with their anger and their rage, Lord, I ask that you would come in 
like a flood with your love and your grace and your peace. Lord, for those who are paralyzed, who are depressed, Lord, who are isolated, I just ask that you would be their comfort. You would be their strength. You would be their encourager, Lord. Oh, God, we just cry out for your peace, Lord, especially during this crazy, hectic season, Lord. We ask for a deeper revelation of your love, for a deeper revelation of your goodness, a deeper revelation of your faithfulness and your kindness to us. Show us who we are in you. Show us, show us who we are the way you view us. Help us not see ourselves through our own eyes or through the, the curses that have been spoken over us or the things of this world, Lord. Let us see ourselves through your eyes because you're crazy about us, God. We're your favorites. And we just thank you for that, Lord, in the name of Jesus.